As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together. As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time. Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadership.com slash commons to find out more. See you in the commons. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Sternke. I am one of your co-hosts uh, today. I'm here with Matt and uh, Tebby and with Christy Penley. Um, mm-hmm. Hello, compatriots. Hello. Hey, Comrades in arms. Padre. I, I don't know. The metaphors are in arms. Amigos. I mean, that was kind of intense. Uh, buddies. Yeah. Buddies. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I don't, buddies. I don't, have, I don't have any firearms on me. <laughs> right. I've got two normal arms, uh, but, you know, and I'm assuming, I know that you guys do as well. You're n- normally armed people. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be with you, my little buddies. <laughs> it's good to be with you. <laughs> Thanks. You, can I just say, you said little buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think sometimes people forget how short I am. Uh, and like literally the other and day. Ben won't I let like, you forget it. And he will <laughs> no, little buddies. Hey, little buddies. Five two, you know. But I, I, I was saw someone the other day who <laughs> I've spent a lot of time on Zoom with, but mm-hmm. not a lot of time in person with in the last two years. And she saw me and she was like, You're so short. Yes. <laughs> oh great. Oh, oh yeah, little buddy. That's funny. Here I am. <clears throat> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what, it's, you know, you guys have these little phrases in your family. So this reminds me of something I want to tell you guys about. You mm-hmm. guys have these little phrases in your families where, like, it's from a movie you all watched one time, and you, so you just keep repeating it to each other, like yeah. in various situations. It sort of comes up. Um, yep. <laughs> so little buddies reminded me of. Have you guys ever seen the movie Horton Hears a Who? I oh, think so. It's like 2008 cartoon. or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it is. It's one of those like underrated cartoons. It kind of flew under the radar. I think it's a like anytime it's on, I just stop and watch it. Like, the, you know, if I have the time, I'm just like, this is an amazing movie. It's so funny. 
It's got such a good message. I just love the movie. I love it. Hmm. Um, but there's a character. <laughs> there's a character in there. Like the main character is this person who's sort of uh, I don't know, kind of always taking care of other people. And um, there's a there's kind of this character who's a little bit strange, and her name is Katie, and she's this like little fur, little furry like ball. <laughs> It kind of looks like a little like animal of some kind, but she has these weird powers where her eyes like go, they, they, they separate, they go outward, you know, from each other. And then she floats up in the air. She makes these weird little sounds like, <laughs> anyway, so like she does, she does, I can't even remember the scene here. Um, uh, but she does something, uh, that like is, is meant to show off, but it's not that impressive. And she just like, you know, she floats up in the air and, um, and I think the main character just says something like, uh, that's beautiful, Katie. <laughs> so anyway, we say that when, when somebody does something that's like meant to be impressive, but it actually isn't quite that impressive, uh, we say that to each other. That's beautiful, that's Katie. So. so if you ever say that to me, I'm going to know. Now. You'll know exactly why I <laughs> called you, you Katie know. and uh, what, what it means. So not really little a buddies reminded me of that. <laughs> nope, not really. Not, not really. really. But, you know. With the, Katie, Katie can be here. Katie, it's kind of a you know, it's a welcoming, inclusive comment. That's beautiful, go. Katie. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, anyway. uh, you know what else is beautiful? Uh, yes, this book by Karen Hardwick we're talking about today. It's a beautiful book. There you go. Good segue. Nice job. And this, yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, pro tip. Karen, it, this was a good. This was a great episode. This was a great uh, conversation. I really enjoyed I talking s- to Karen. I would say that. Uh, this may be one of the most memorable conversations that we've been a part of because of the quality of listening and care I feel like Karen gave us. Um, It it felt like an encounter. Yeah. And it felt like she invited us to, into some deeper discovery than than simply just a conversation. And so, I don't know. I, I left wanting to actually get to know Karen more. Um, yeah. And the book and the book itself is all about the things we care about. So yeah, not only was the content great, mm-hmm. but the quality so of the yep. engagement was good too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I feel like she really demonstrated what it means to be a connected leader. You know what I mean? It was one of those times oh, where yeah. it was like, she's not just sharing good, great information about it. She sort of embodies this mm-hmm. message uh, that she brings. And I, I just was very, yeah, I was very, um, Struck by that, taken by that. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of, uh, that's beautiful, Katie. <laughs> she was like really taking us seriously and, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't condescending or, uh, at all. Um, so yeah, Karen's great. This conversation was great. Yes. So, all right. I think. Let's yeah, get into this, it. I want you, you, yeah, you didn't, you weren't there for I this didn't one, get to be Christy? there, so I want yeah. to hear it. All right. Well, um, listen with up no further then, delay. Christy. With no further delay. All right, here's Karen. We are talking to Karen Joy Hardwick today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. She's the author of the Connected Leader, Seven Strategies to Empower Your True Self and Inspire Others. Karen is a clinically and spiritually trained psychotherapist turned leadership coach. She also hosts a podcast and she does a variety of speaking. She lives in Atlanta with her son and is surrounded by 
and I want to know more about this, her connection warriors. So we're going to talk about connection today. This is a big theme in Karen's book. And in particular, I want to, I want to uh, double click on that. But Karen, is there anything else we need to know about you before we jump into this book? Mm, so good to be here with you, Matt. Um, ben, it's a real pleasure. Yeah. So yes. it's a little strange when someone writes a book because people expect you to be an expert on that topic. And one of the things that I'm finding is I absolutely run to all things connection and I am not an expert. Mm. I am figuring this out with other people as we go. So um, as part of a 12-step recovery community, I am also a recovering higher power. And I have to surrender to that (laughs) every day in the service of connection. So I'm on this journey with everybody else who's seeking connection as well. Yes. That, you know, that's something that's really fascinating, Karen. I think that m- most people who who have more connection than they could ever ask for, for, for whom connection is never in doubt or never a question, they don't end up writing books about it because they don't ever have to name it as important. I think one of the things we discover on this podcast is those of us who live our lives with an absence or a lack of something that's important and have to go find it. We have to go construct it or fight for it or, like you said, surround ourselves with connection warriors. Those of us who have to battle for good things end up being the ones who can talk about it because we know what it's like not to have it. And I guess then as as we enter this book, what was it? How did you come to value connection and being connected? And what are you referring to when you, when you say that? Mm, those are all such good questions, and I loved your lead-in because <laughs> I agree with the search is so very important. And most and we're not searching for stuff that we wake up having, right? So for me, the, the, the paradox was I grew up in the church with a close family, doing all the things that made me as a child feel like I was connected. And in graduate school, when I was in seminary and having a spiritual crisis, I was looking back on so many of the family experiences. And I learned that, yes, there was a tremendous amount of connection in positive ways. And there was also trauma, loss, and grief that also fed my sense of being disconnected from myself. So very specifically, my mother was diagnosed with a terminal illness when I was 10 And that thrust me into a role of being an adult, having to take care of things a 10-year-old should really not be taking care of. And in my desire to please to take care of, I lost me. So yes, there was connection and there was also disconnection. 
So my adult life has been spent in many ways trying to rediscover the connection to self. And so that's what I think the book is mostly about, Matt. And, And we're getting feedback from people saying, this book is taking me back to myself because we leapfrog, this culture does, over the importance of self-connection. And we think Mm -hmm. that connection is only about our relationships with other people. And I am always reminding myself and others, let's start with ourselves. Yeah. Karen, I, I appreciate you naming this because I think that it names so many of the ways that I think out of our insecure connection with ourselves and, you know, maybe with our, you know, we've, we've talked about attachment theory on this podcast before. And so our efforts to connect with others end up obscuring our connection with ourselves and make it so that it's not quite true connection. Right. So I connect with other, like one of the themes of my life is I realize I connect, I try to connect with people through serving them. I could, I try to connect with people through, um, being competent. Nobody's going to need anything from me so I can, I can be there for other people. Right. Um, but I realized like, this is, this is a false form of connection. It's actually not, it's actually not, you know, true connection with another person and vulnerability because I always have to show up strong. I always have to show up competent. Right. Um, so anyway, I appreciate you naming this connection, like uh, connecting with ourselves actually helps us connect with other people. I recently heard Rowan Williams say that, um, contemplation is not the sort of self-absorbed exercise that we oftentimes think it is, that it actually helps us connect with other people without an agenda. Um, So I don't know if you can reflect on what what are some of the ways that you've found that this self-connection results in true connection with other people rather than maybe some of us fear it's going to end up in self-absorption or Mm self-indulgence, right? Or selfishness. Mm-hmm. How, how does uh, make the connection even more clear for us? Well, I'm not sure I'm going to make it that much more clear for us because <laughs> well, this is, these, are muddy, waters, <laughs> these are muddy waters. These are muddy waters. Please, Karen, please explain all the mysteries of the universe. In yes. Oh, yeah, minutes in five minutes. That. That's what we were doing in this podcast, I thought. Guys, all right. Yes, that's what we do. That's what we do. So I was listening so intently to what you were saying, Ben, because you just really put the real deal out on the table. So thank you for that. This culture confuses many of the activities we call connection with connection, and really they're about disconnection. So if we unpack that just a little bit to start with, as an Enneagram 2. Um, oh, you you too, oh, we're just no. I'm a, I'm in a one, but the it's okay. some of the um, some of the same tendencies there, right? So yeah, yeah. Because I was hearing while you were talking, very similar dynamics to my own, yes. and so yes, we're wired a certain mm-hmm. way, and then our families create an environment in which we learn through various defense mechanisms what our role is and what gets us approval, and in my case. I was approved of when I was taking care of people. So I think what happens is we keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And so I 
was searching for connections by trying to prove, and I can only talk from my perspective. So I was searching for connections by trying to prove to people, I'm lovable. I'm worthy. Do you see me? I'm so wise and good and considerate. Except I was tired and exhausted and depleted and not just a little pissed off at times. Right? And so all these connections were really about trying to find worthiness. And that's not connection. So in the, you know, in the recovery community, we learn that really the self-absorption that you're talking about, the obsession with self is just a cover up for all those woundedness. And I believe us human beings have a spectrum of woundedness. Some of us small T, some of us big T. And we, as we decide that I'm going to embark on a journey of self-discovery, we start the painful but very courageous journey of trying to figure out how do I, how do I really connect? And that real connection is about sitting quietly in the pause and hearing our own inner voice and looking at our wounds, but not in a way that is self-absorption. Actually, that gets us out of self-absorption. The inner work leads us into connection with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila was asked once, how does she pray? And she said, I just allow myself to be loved. Mm. Yeah. And when we can sit in that space, my spiritual director, Jen Goodyear, reminded me of that today. When we can sit in that space of just letting ourselves love ourselves, mm. true connection can begin. Because then I can show up real, raw vulnerable, and stop my pursuit of worthiness and approval. Yeah. Hard stuff. Karen, I have this distinct, I have this distinct sense that someone needs to hear that. Mm. That someone is there, even they're listening, if they're driving or in the shower or uh, pushing their child on a swing at the playground as they listen in their AirPods, that, um, even now, your word of letting yourself be loved as a way of connecting to yourself is is a is a needed word for somebody listening right now. So thank you for that. Mm. 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 I think you know Ben mentioned the self kind of selfishness, self absorption, and you mentioned that's that's actually a wounded self that's not open but is continuing to sort of cover and hide. I think the other the other ditch that uh, I've had to navigate and I've fallen into is this other call to like die to yourself, like yourself isn't important, right? Self self forgetfulness is a Christian virtue, and you're telling me to find myself. How can I find myself and die to myself at the same time? Could you just speak a bit to that and how you navigate mm. and understand that? Again, speaking from my own experience, right? Because that's really all I know. And I think um, in all circles of intellectual or theological pursuit, people get really caught up in trying to prove what they know and what sounds smart and what's cognitively going to be sophisticated. 
Um, I'm trying to get away from that and connect more authentically with what's going on in my heart. So to answer that question, Matt, and I really appreciate it, um, here's what I know. What I know is the more we push ourselves to the side in the service of being good and Christian, the more depleted we can become. And that's when I believe resentment can gain a foothold. And that's when the stuff that trips us up and gets in the way of real intimacy starts to slither into our relationships. So really basic stuff. Love yourself as your neighbor. And most of us leapfrog right over that love yourself. And we're trying to prove and we're sacrificing and we're giving more and more. And one of the things I've learned in this season of my life, Matt and Ben, is no is a holy word. And the more I learn to say no, the more I can say heck yeah to the things that (laughs) really matter, to serving God in a way that is genuine and real and not about pleasing. To show up and Mm -hmm. to just hold who I am lightly and softly in a way that really gives me the energy to truly be there for other people. Yeah. That word depleted mm-hmm. and then and then incurring or stacking resentments. Um that just rings really true to me. I've I think I've been there, Karen, and this is one of the reasons why I think your book is a gift is because we need people who have to live in between these ditches and try to fight for what does it mean to live a life as a leader, present to yourself, connected to yourself, in the foundational, grounding, orienting center of being beloved. So that, you know, self isn't hidden or hustled for, but self just simply is. Um, And so... All of what we've been talking about, I think, is maybe a larger architecture inside of which you expound upon these seven practices. And I'm, I want to read them, and then I have a question to ask you, because we can't go into all of them. Um, but the seven practices are connects consciously, listens deeply, exhibits empathy, practices curiosity, demonstrates accountability, navigates chaos comfortably, and walks with courage-based confidence. Uh, Which one of those, Karen, do you find most intuitively second nature for you? And then which one is maybe the most difficult or the most challenging for you? I am an empathy-holic. That's, therefore, the easiest one for me. (laughs) You need empathy? I got it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and what I had to learn is because it's the easiest for me, world-class, truly. However, that, whatever is easiest for us, can also be our undoing. Everything yes. that's easy also has an underbelly. And for me, I had to learn that exhibiting empathy is definitely my superpower. I am really good at it. And I had to hit the pause button because in order to be genuine at it, I had to first learn to show it to myself. So what I had to learn, even if this is the easiest one for me, is to first give it to myself. And that's, again, my whole book is about connection starts with self, right? And in the connection to self, we find that God has been waiting there for us. What took you so long? Here I am. Hmm. And so empathy for me had to be a relearned skill that started with myself so that boundaries could ride shotgun with the empathy I'm really good at giving. So empathy doesn't become this, here, let me help you, but rather, here, let me sit with you. I hear what you're saying, and together we're just going to hold everything that you're going through. Hi, I'm Deb from Ormond Beach, Florida. One of the best gifts that I received for my journey through a Gravity Leadership cohort was a new perspective on flourishing in life and in ministry. I didn't realize how much of my discipleship was formed by call-out culture. My whole orientation was toward calling out what was wrong or sinful in the world, in my own life, and in the church. But gravity helped me see that Christ was always calling people in toward life and flourishing. And my cohort came to feel kind of like a community garden. We got to practice calling each other in to a deeper awareness of God's life, of His goodness and His love, and how it was bearing fruit in our lives. So if you're looking for a safe space to grow in your life with God and to practice your gardening skills in the life of others, I hope you'll check out the Gravity Leadership Academy. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. I'm trying to think of the right word there, like challenging or like not second nature, or you had to really intentionally build the capacity and competency for. Well, now that you put it that way, for (laughs) me, I had to build the competency around courage-based confidence, which means Mm. trusting yourself deep within that you can rise up, create beauty from the ashes, because I've done this and I've stepped into the wisdom that comes from walking through hell, walking through the dark nights of the soul. And when you start to think about all the tough stuff we human beings in, in human school are dealing with every day and rising up from, it really starts to show us 
how we are courage walking. Just the ordinary courageous stuff that happens in our daily life. And I think for me, I had to grow a competency around, I'm pretty courageous. <laughs> and, right? Cool. Yeah. So tell me, so, so tell me yeah. what made you chuckle about that. <clears throat> yeah, what made me chuckle about that was, what I hear you saying isn't like headbutt yourself in the soul, you know, and put on Eye of the Tiger and drink you know, some energy <laughs> drinks and figure out how to muster this courage and go, you know what I mean? Like spit your fear in the eye. That's not what I hear you saying. Um, you, the phrase was, I had to realize how courageous I was. So uh, something like that, right? I'm, I'm hoping I get that right. And so the picture is much more of a appreciating the gift that I have and learning to trust that it's there versus figuring out how to get something I don't. And there's something, uh, the humor was how precious and tender that is, how powerful that is to live out of a abundance of a gift, even if we're incompetent in it, versus living with a scarcity this capacity that we got to figure out how to accumulate. Mm. Am I hearing you right? Yeah, and I'm hearing you too, Matt, because there's such there's such an invitation for restoration in what you just said. There's such an invitation to renewal, to just being comfortable with who our true self is. There's such gifts around us every day. It's the stirring of the oatmeal. It's having coffee with somebody that you love. It's getting up in the morning. And as trite as all this sounds, gratitude and having that abundant philosophy instead of scarcity is really what starts to lift connection into this this gift. There's mm. so many ways we connect on a daily basis. So I love what you were saying about abundance versus scarcity mm. and what, how surrounded we are with gifts within and outside of ourselves. I mean, for me, connection is the antidote. Yeah. But as we unpack this, and I could talk about this for hours, it's much more than just having a great conversation. Right. Or having good friends. It's a way of life that puts yeah. at the center of it the sense of we. I mean, this is not a do-it-yourself life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really love that description, uh, Karen. And I, the, the sense that I have is of, I, I think this is all part of, <laughs> I go like historical here and like a little bit big picture. So forgive me if this gets too meta, but I think this is all part of our coming out of this enlightenment, individualistic, autonomous vision of what a human is, right? The, the human is this autonomous, you know, self-contained 
economically sort of uh, in a you know self interested right economic unit that goes around in the world like making economic exchanges when it suits me and when it suits you you know what I mean like this vision that a lot of us have inherited that is just you know they just economists just made it up you know what I mean like it's it's not real they just made it up but it's been so powerful as a myth for like who we are and and what our lives are all about and I think your work seems to be part of this move there goes my dog. Um, you're, you're, um, you're, uh, this happens every podcast. She just, the, the, mail, she the mail comes about she this knows. time. Yeah. She's like, you're right. You're right. We're connected. No, my, my dog has actually been uh, an important, um, part of me learning this actually. Um, so, sort of, uh, touches the tender spot in my heart that I didn't realize was there. But anyway, um, I think there's this move that, that we're undergoing. That's really a, sh- a, a deep, uh, shift in like metaphysically in terms of how we even think the world is where my life doesn't just consist in what's inside of me and what I can manage to kind of dredge up and give to others, but my life consists in my connections. And so like there is this abundance that comes with that mindset of just thinking like everything I have is probably here. Everything I, or everything I need is probably here, you know? And, and if I have a need, like, like I can rest in and just start look, looking for where it might be met, you know, in terms of my, my life, my connections. There's this fullness that you speak of um, that I think makes all the difference in terms of our, our ability to, you know, just live, um, but also lead. You know, your book is called The Connected Leader, and it's, it's specifically about leadership from this place of connection, which I think is, it's a huge theme in our work. And so, deeply appreciative. Oh, I, I really appreciate this conversation, Ben. You know, leadership, um, in at least in the book, I describe it as a leader is anyone who has people entrusted to their care. Mm-hmm. So that means stay-at-home parents are leaders. Yes. It Some means that yes. students, right, in youth groups are leaders, mm-hmm. not just in the boardroom. Right. However, I was talking to a leader today, a C-level leader in a corporation. And we were talking about the importance of love in the workplace. And she's doing this very rigorous self-discovery work. We've been working together. She, her team, it's this big engagement for a long time, you know, a good year plus. And the transformation that she's beginning to see, not just in herself, but in her team, is nothing short of an awakening, her words. And it's not about putting people through, you know, a 10-step module or a half-day workshop. All of those have their places, but this is about deep discovery work that starts to change the conversation because the cultural transformation is going on as a result of the inner transformation. And this is how it goes at home too. When families are struggling, there's usually an identified person who is the problem, except they're not. They're usually the barometer for the level of pain in the family and they're acting it out in clearer ways. So once somebody starts to transform and heal or address what's so painful in the family, the family can start to change too. 
So this whole process of connection, again, starts within. And then we start to see the ripple effects. Yes. Yeah, this is the power of this book, Karen, I think, is that um, a lot of leadership books define leaders as people who get things done, make things happen, are able to persuade or influence others to activities, they achieve outcomes, right? They meet their goals, all this kind of neoliberal, industrial, corporate sort of, uh, you know, things we love. And what you're describing is more transformation and how how systems and people who relate to other people in systems or, or um, organisms, larger organizations, how they grow and change and mature and transform. And this is near and dear to the heart of why we started Gravity Leadership. Um, even our even the metaphor that drives our self um, conceptualization, this gravity metaphor of this this force that's holding things together, that's bringing things into alignment, that's keeping things in orbit, that's centering and drawing things to uh, you know towards maybe their their home or even into their telos, if you will. And so I I see uh, this book as being like it's like a sister, it's like a like you're a sister from a different Mister. To gravity leadership, <laughs> um, and the way I that you that. frame this, I anyway, I, that was a long disaffirmation. I, I hope that's okay. I, I want to ask maybe a final question, and that is, we work with a lot of people that don't see themselves as leaders, um, because they don't have positional authority, like you mentioned, parents are are leaders because they've been given some responsibility in an arena where they have to bring their volition and their agency to bear for the sake of other people, right? Um, what, what, as, you, as you work through these seven um, practices, I wonder if you could talk a bit about, and I know this, this is kind of like a, maybe a, like a little turn here, but how do they relate to gender and the way that gender is culturally scripted the way we're, we're told to be men and women, and the way that, you know, some of these things maybe have a masculine feel, I'm putting those in quotes, or a feminine feel. And how, do, how have you seen people interact with that based upon, you know, based upon their gender? So let me just be clear, Matt. So you're asking about the seven pillars of connection that I talk about in terms of it from a gender perspective? Yeah, yeah. So for instance... Um, walks with courage-based confidence. I, I, th- I can think of ways that men are able to do that, typically, generally, in the Western world, that women are not able to do that, typically, generally, in the Western world. Um, I'm, I'm noticing that things like empathy. So I, I'm with you, Karen. I, I developed an, a keen sense of empathy as a young child, as, as really a protective mechanism. I, I grew up around some fairly angry caregivers, and I had to be dialed in at every moment to how they were doing and feeling in order to predict whether or not I would be in danger, right? Um, which is a really good thing for a six-year-old. Good job, good job, little Matt. Um, but, but, but culturally, I think I've noticed that empathy is not valued uh, 
is not a it's not typically scripted as a masculine trait. And so there isn't a reward or value on that kind of characteristic or competency in the world for quote a man, right? And I'm just wondering how have you I guess I'm just asking you to just talk a bit about that if you've noticed these dynamics and and what you're learning about it. I have noticed the dynamics. Um for sure. And the more I talk about these pillars, and I'm, I'm gathering my thoughts as I'm talking because I'm thinking about people I've spoken to over the last few months about all of this. A lot of the C-level men that I work with are really drawn to these concepts because they wake up one day and they realize, you know what? I'm making seven figures. Some of them, I'm making eight figures. I have lots of people who respect me and I am still not at peace with myself. Or usually they say, I'm not happy because happy is the go-to, right? And so I think that a lot of the gender behaviors that we see are a defense mechanism. The men that I'm talking to would like to be empathetic, to use your example, Matt. And now we have research that helps the men to see empathy actually enhances a bottom line. When we have empathy in our cultures, it can actually increase profitability. And so that appeals, I don't, not just to the male wiring or the, the gender prescribed roles, but also to females in leadership. And as much as we are wired and brought up to behave in certain ways based on gender, I also think that the really important thing when it comes to connection is more or less our family environments and less about gender, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like what you were describing, yeah, yeah. Matt. And yeah, that's, that's good. I, I'd love to hear more about that. Um, you know, I had somebody say to me, these seven pillars that ignite the connection seem to be more female based overall. And we all know that the way we're working, whether it be in boardrooms, in nonprofits, in churches and synagogues, the way we're working is not working. right? It is not working, hence the great resignation, hence the uptick in addiction, Mm. anxiety, depression, domestic violence. We have a problem, Houston, right? We are suffering. Yes. And so the call here for all of us, and I hope the invitation to have a different kind of a conversation, is how can we move from a great resignation to a great reconnection? How can we move from a deconstruction to a restoration? These are, and I'm hoping that con- connection can play a really big role in that for men and for women. Yes, that's a good word, Karen. I received that. Um, maybe yeah. as a final way to wrap up here, thank you for your time and your care. I feel cared for in this conversation, and uh, 
<laughs> I don't think my feelings are lying to me. I think you're actually caring for us, Karen. I appreciate that. Um, may, we, we mentioned the Enneagram a little earlier, and you, you do talk about true self in this book. And I'm an Enneagram 4. And so part of, part of the um, wonder of being a 4 is that we are scared to death that we don't exist, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that we don't actually have a self that is true or, or um, sturdy, right? That it actually exists, that there's a, there's a thisness and a substance to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe, Karen, this could just be like if you and I were having coffee and I were to ask you, what, what would be like your advice for somebody who wants to begin to pursue finding their true self and learning how to trust that? Mm, that's a big question, Matt. And I'm not one for, here are the three magic bullets, and when you do this, all will be good, because... Mm, that's a really scary invitation when somebody puts that out, right? Mm-hmm. However, yeah. you've asked the question, so I do have some thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. It's really important, or at least I have seen in my life. Let me start with me. Having a structure that supports our self-discovery is important. So, for instance, when by structure I mean if we want to find our true self or rediscover that um, and really step into this curriculum that we're all going through in human school, because here we are in human school, I think it's really important for us to have structure around us that supports that. So it could be something like going to therapy with a therapist who is really grounded in their own work. It could be spiritual direction. It could be going to 12-step recovery. It could be finding a coach that you really gel with to help you put some things in place. The architecture of our journey is really important, and we all need those support mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Um, As much as this life we walk with God is a solo journey, the, juxtapos- the paradox is really that we also need people walking beside us. Like, walk this way. I've done this. You too can do this. So one of the things that I would say to people who want the journey is find some people who can hold space with you mm-hmm. and who don't necessarily have the answers but can help you find them within yourself. Prayer meditation, reflection, journaling. There's all those things, but they become just things if they're not rooted in this deep sense of presence to self. We don't want to do a check-the-box thing. Hmm. Yeah. We want to really lean in yeah. to that. Hmm. Yeah, Ben, did you, you caught this. Ben's, Ben's very smart and perceptive. But uh, basically, Karen said, if you want to find yourself, mm-hmm. uh, give yourself to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And give yourself There's... to people who can, who can bear the yeah. glory and the beauty of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And that, there's that connection again, right, between 
sort of self-awareness and, uh, and connection with others, um, how it's all connected. And I, I think the key, a key part of what you shared, Karen, is that you're giving yourself to someone like, you know, you and I have both talked about our tendency to try to earn connection, you know, maybe through our service to others or helping of others. So th- this way of giving yourself to another is, is different, right? It's, it's, it's uh, offering yourself in weakness and in vulnerability um, and uh, not necessarily in strength and in service. But in so doing, it sounds like there's a, yeah, connection is fostered. But that's, you know, that can be the scariest thing that, in, that some of us ever do. It's tremendously courageous to do that. And one mm-hmm. of the things I've really had to learn about this whole connection um, invitation is to be humble. Mm. And hmm. one of the Hebrew translations for the word humble is to tear down the wall between us and God and to step into our into the space God wants us to occupy, those gifts. Yeah. And that is not for the faint-hearted. No. That work of humility and Ben, as you said, vulnerability. Mm. Like, I need help. I need guides. I can't do this by myself. Yes. Hmm. Amen. Well, the book again is The Connected Leader Seven Strategies to Empower Your True Self and Inspire Others. This book is um, so closely aligned with the work we do at Gravity. It was such a joy to read it, Karen, and it was a joy to talk to you about it. You mentioned that you do some speaking and mm. other things. How can people find out, how can people find you on, are you on the web? On the, what's yeah, on the so If they want to find me, our website is karenjhardwick.com. Um, on Instagram, Karen J. Hardwick, and also on LinkedIn, Karen J. Hardwick. <laughs> so that seems to be <laughs> the key to finding me. Yeah, so you're great. saying type we'll, your name uh, throw- into a search engine. There we type go. Type my name, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll put, those, we'll put those uh, links to, all to that in our show notes. notes. Thanks for joining us today, Karen. You know, thank you. This was a wonderful Valentine's Day present to me <laughs> to be able to have Aww. this conversation with you. So thank yes. you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Peace. Then I feel like I should turn this podcast into my insurance provider for reimbursement. <laughs> yeah, if if we paid Karen for it, but we didn't. But <laughs> that was Here's incredible. An invoice for man. zero dollars. Yes, we got. We were so helped by Karen Hardwick. She I don't was, know. I she did. I think that was a good word at the end there, where you you said like you felt cared for. I felt the same thing. I just felt like she was intently listening. Like she almost didn't have an answer for me for my question because she was like, I was just listening to you. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for listening to me. (laughs) You know what I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing that I think a lot of our, a lot of our dialogue is patterned off of entertainment, right? Mm. Um, like, like I'm thinking of the first time I saw 30 Rock. Oh, yeah. And it was just like patter, patter, joke, joke, patter, patter, Every joke. Every line joke. is a joke. Yeah. Every line's a joke, and there's no break in between. People's brains work lightning fast. Same thing with um, West Wing. It wasn't jokes, though, but it's like 
super snappy dialogue all the time. Um, And if you get into a conversation with somebody who doesn't talk to you like you're in a Seinfeld episode, you know, (laughs) or I guess a uh, 30 Rock episode, it's a little jarring, Mm -hmm. but it's so precious and so beautiful. And I felt like she... she, um, appreciated every question we asked even more than we did. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was great. It was uh, a really uh, generative, um, That you know, it's one of my favorite kinds of things is when we can have a generative interview where it's not, it's not, and we try never to do this, but like the worst kind of interviews, right, are like, here is a request for information. Okay, yeah. here's an answer with some information. <laughs> I request more information. Here's some more information. Right, just like kind of this back and forth, like, Please give us the information. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, something was generated there. Like, I was genuinely having, I was mm-hmm. moved. I was genuinely having, like, some new thoughts about, like, oh, this is, like, yeah. fascinating to me. I was connecting it to this other things I'd heard. I, I was remember hearing this Rowan Williams quote yeah. um, about, like, we get contemplation all wrong. It's actually about, like, you can't, unless you can learn how to be by yourself and be loved, you can't actually love anybody for who they are. Mm. You're always going to be looking for something from them. So anyway, so I, I don't know. I was just relating to it. And I, I love that kind of conversation where we can, something's new is happening. It, I, it was almost like that. We were connecting. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I want to say. I mean, uh, she's, she's written a book on, on connection, connecting with yourself and other people. And it was clear to me that she has something to offer about that to the world. Yep. Even if I hadn't read the book, just being with her, on this platform for this interview. So, yeah. anywho, oof, and yep. yeah, I, 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 it's also it's also too been like one of the fun. We don't do this every podcast interview, but when we talk to people who are doing the kinds of work ancillary or adjacent work to what we're doing at Gravity, mm-hmm. it's so encouraging, right? It's like yeah. we're not as weird as we think. We're not as yeah. may, maybe we're onto something. <laughs> right. Maybe we're all contributing to this, like. Something's move happening. towards something good and beautiful. Yeah, something's happening. We're all part of it. Yeah, yeah, it is and, really uh, encouraging. I got that feeling with her as well. So for sure. All right. Well, I just have one final question for you, Ben. Mm-hmm. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Uh, I don't know. Supplies. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pretty bad. It's pretty like, good. I kind of like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty bad. <laughs> All right. Till next time. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 